And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. You know, Aaron, uh, we are podcasters. Um, takes a little bit of go get ness to, um, to do a podcast. You know, so uh, as we've been uh, doing this whole podcast, it's just got me thinking about this question. Um, how valuable is ambition? Invaluable. Invaluable. I would say. Hmm. That's what keeps a species alive for the most part. Ambition? Ambition. Do you think other species are ambitious or is this more of like a human thing? I think it's a human thing. Mm. I think it's like once your brain crosses into consciousness mode, then mm. ambition comes into play, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if dolphins are ambitious. It seems like they're very close. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to just kind of think about where, 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 where does ambition come from? And it is something we seem to value very greatly, certainly in our society. I see so many dating apps that will just like, what are your interests? And I'll just see like ambition. <laughs> um. <laughs> in, in your word bubble, <laughs> ambition's a big one. Ambition. That is an interest. Yeah. I like hobbies as well. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, let's see if um, Star Trek um, has anything to say about ambition. Um, humans do go out to the stars in Star Trek, which is fairly ambitious, I would say. Um, yes, of course, um, you are listening to Star Trek Stories, episode 31, The Best of Both Worlds. Um, I, of course, am your supreme host, Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined here by my plush co-host, Aaron Cole. Hello, Aaron. I'm plush. <laughs> well, I need a little Aaron plushie. Yeah, I would sell <laughs> dozens of those. Dozens. <laughs> <laughs> um... We are winding down our look at the TNG Renaissance. Um, last time we watched Menage a Troy, um, the second episode in our Lucy Goosey twofer. <laughs> One of the most infamous titles ever. My God, Menage. Get away with it. How do they get away with that? Menage a Troy. Who greenlit that? Who said yes? That's it. Yeah, we introduced our good friend Ellen to Loxana and the Ferengi and. Silly shenanigans abound. Well, today um, we have another returning guest host um, in the captain's chair today. Uh, once again, we have my sibling on the show, the very lovely Aaron Hatch. Hello, Aaron. Hello, hello. hello. Um, Aaron, how the hell are you? I'm great. I'm having a good Sunday, so. Yeah, good Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, so for those new to the podcast, Aaron is my youngest sibling. Um, all of us uh, Hatch siblings are hardcore Star Trek fans. That's basically all we ever talk about. Um, last time you were on, Aaron, we we watched Elan of Troyes. Um, and oh boy, what an episode. Are you going to give me a good episode this time? <laughs> uh, I, no. 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 <laughs> best, best of both worlds, no good. Um Yes, I told you. I think I even told you. Next time we'll get you on for a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Promise. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but thank I think you. we all. I think we had like. I listened to it recently, um, and we all had a blast. <laughs> for, for how terrible it is, we all had a blast watching it. It yeah. is enjoyable, even if it's terrible. Terrible. I remember all kinds of good feels coming from that episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're a hardcore Star Trek fan, um, Aaron. I think it's safe to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but unlike most hardcore fans, 
you are not the biggest Next Generation fan, relatively speaking. Relatively speaking, yeah. Um, This is in the lower echelons for you. Yeah, yeah, of the, like, not, of the shows before New Trek, it is at the bottom. Yeah, this is always interesting to me because most people I know who are hardcore fans, TNG is at least a top three, if not number one. Yeah, you want to talk about, like, deifying Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Talk about who, how people think about the next generation. Next gen, Patrick right. Stewart at, at Data, like the whole thing. It's like, that is the show. So I'm curious, you know, being a hardcore Star Trek fan who isn't the biggest fan of Next Generation, um, like, what is it about that? Like, wh- what's that about? Like, wh- what about the show? And not, not as a criticism. I genuinely love the show. TOS, TNG, DS9, these are all very close, like, they are leagues above everything else. They are all almost tied for first place for me. Um, so I love Next Generation. So I, I'm curious, like, what is it? What doesn't grab you about the show that maybe some of the other ones do? It, it has this very weird feeling, and the only I was trying to find a way to like explain it in a way that made sense. But I don't know if you go to the hospital, you know that kind of weird, kind of sterile, kind of lifeless feeling. Ironically, in, in a hospital. It's like, yeah, in <laughs> hospitals, it's kind of the feeling I get from TNG. Mm. Um, there's <laughs> the people, like, they definitely feel like they're from the future and not from this time at all, but they also feel a little like not cardboardy, but like they don't seem to have the same like interpersonal like conflicts and uh, that like people have in the other shows that make them feel more human like like you can still be you know from the future from this utopia and still have you know kind of interpersonal conflicts and things and that's one of the reasons i love ds9 so much is because that one feels really like real um shit happens on the promenade all the time yeah Mm -hmm. um so so there's this kind of weird kind of sterile feeling yeah in TNG. Like you're expected to be quiet in the halls when you're walking down. Like talking in, <laughs> we're using our inside walk, voices. Walk, walk, yeah. walk, walk. Jimmy, walk. And and I also, I, I really do not like the Enterprise D. The outside or the inside. And the inside, the color scheme and stuff really help with that feeling of it being like, I don't know, that weird hospital room feel. And it's like, I like the characters. I enjoy them. And there's some episodes, you know, that I like really, really enjoy. Like Darmok is one of my all-time favorite Star Trek episodes. Um, and I love the first three TNG movies. But yeah. There, yeah, there's just something about the series itself. It's like I have watched through it multiple times, but I still forget most of what happens in that show. It's like my brain just refused. Like, we don't need to remember this. This this isn't important information. So. It's just deleted. Wow. Yeah. Um, coming in with the hot takes. Like, I don't, I don't like the Enterprise D. I'm not crazy on the next gen characters. I like the movies. Well, what, hey, I said I liked the characters. They just don't. They just maybe not as relatable as you would like them to be exactly mm. exactly it is really hard for me to relate to them they yeah. are they feel a little too perfect and i think that's one of the reasons why Worf is one of my favorite star trek character oh, no he is my favorite star trek character what am i saying it's like it's like yeah he he has problems he's not that great honestly 
even in TNG, um, he's a terrible father and stuff like that. And it's stuff like that which makes like drew me to him, as opposed to all these other people who are just like these like perfect sugar cookie people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and that is all for this incarnation. Very intentional on the part of Gene Roddenberry. Um, he had this idea of not only did they live in a utopia, but that like human beings had evolved, and like we we're, we're dealing with evolved humans. Um, I never had as much truck with that. I have no reason to think that humans would be more that different. I mean, if they lived in a better society, then yes, certainly. But in terms of the people themselves, just all across the board being better, that never quite rung true to me, even though uh, I find all the characters. I find it interesting and I find it because there's no other show that tries to do anything like that. That's true. That um, is true. Do you think there's any value in Oh, there's absolutely trying? value. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, I think it's it's a good thing to try to explore and kind of even hope for. Um, but that doesn't mean that it necessarily would connect with all audiences. Sure. Right. So, you got you still got to make a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With these perfect people. Cuz the thing is the most important thing about a show to me is characters. Like you can have like the dumbest plot or the most boring plot but if the characters are interesting and still manage to do interesting things within that plot like I'm there so having these characters that I can't really relate to very much at all um, characters the conflicts that they go to that helps them to grow right yeah yeah and so how well the writers explore that I feel like that's the sauce so they lose me a little mm. Uh, very understandable and uh, you know very gutsy to try to do something like that um, even if it doesn't quite pan out as well as maybe and as the show goes on they slowly drift more from it but they never escape it entirely Um, I mean I guess that's a good segue into like the question we asked earlier Um, very ambitious to try to do a show like this what do you think the value more generally speaking um, what's the value in ambition well i would agree with aaron because it's not to use corporate speak but it is like one of like the great drivers just of life and that's a lot of the reason we get stuff done and obviously it can be used for bad uh for ill but but i think it's it's like curiosity but it's like taken to the next level it's like like applied curiosity. Yeah, it's like, like applied that. curiosity mm-hmm. with like, it could have a little bit of a selfish, like, hint to it or whatever. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's like next level curiosity. Um, Turning it into action. Yeah. Well. Especially when you're like applying it to yourself. It's just like, I'm curious about this, but I'm curious about what I could do or what I could be in, with regard with regards to this, you know. There's like a fire behind it too. Yeah. You know, because there's ambition, like the the regular drive to get up and go to work and do what you have to do. But then there's there's the ambition to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. When you find those moments, that's when it's the most useful to you. And, and that like, is very Star Trek. It's like yeah. it is it's ambition to go out there and just see what they can do and like what they can find, what they can learn. Um and I really like that. Star Trek always has things to say, and I'm sure it'll um, have some things to say on ambition. Um, We are, of course, today watching The Best of Both Worlds, 
um, this premiered June 18th, 1990. This is the 26th episode produced for the third season, which makes it the season finale. The finale to the season that redefines Star Trek as we know it. Um, um, this episode is the culmination of all of their efforts to revitalize and re-energize the show, which is what we've kind of been looking at these last few episodes, Aaron. Um, they wanted to make a big splash with this finale and boy, would they, um, this is probably on the short list for greatest episodes of the entire Star Trek franchise. Um, I think for a lot of people, this would probably be like a top tenor. Um, if not like a top five. Um, and I know for lots of people, like this is the best episode of Star Trek, the next generation. Aaron hates um, it. Well, we're bringing you on for the best. Well, one of the best Aaron, so we can try to convert you to the ways of TNG just to remind you that it's the best one. I don't know if you can convert <laughs> me by choosing an episode. I already admit is great. <laughs> Um, well, at least we can like look and see what TNG really does well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think most would agree that this episode is like the episode that like cements the legacy of TNG. So we'll, we'll definitely be looking at that, seeing if the episode still lives up to the hype after all these years. Um, this will also be like our first real in-depth look at Commander Riker. Um this is probably the definitive Riker story um, in the Ooh. entire series, um, which is interesting because that is not usually the first thing people think about when they think about this episode. Um, but this is the Riker ep- uh, story. Um, so we'll also be talking about how this episode helps illuminate his character. Um All right. For those of you at home who are going to watch with us, Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 3, Episode 26, and we will be back after we watch The Best of Both Worlds. still doing here Deanna I pushed myself hard to get this far I I sacrificed a lot I always said I wanted my own command and yet something's holding me back is it wrong for me to want to stay what do you think (sighs) 
Maybe I'm just afraid of the big chair. I don't think so. The captain says Shelby reminds him of the way that I used to be. And he's right. She comes in here full of drive and ambition, impatient, taking risks. I look at her and I wonder what happened to those things in me. I like those things about me. I've lost something. You mean you're older? More experienced? A little more seasoned? Seasoned? It's a horrible thing to say to a man. I don't think you've lost a thing. And I think you've gained more than you realize. You're much more comfortable with yourself than you used to be. Maybe that's the problem. I'm too comfortable here. I'm not sure I know what that means. You're happy here. Happier than I've ever known you to be. So, it comes down to a simple question. What do you want, Will Riker? We just got done watching the best of both worlds. Um, <laughs> see Aaron rocking out to the Hannah Montana song. I was there. not <laughs> totally unrelated song in my head than the Hannah Montana one. <laughs> um, yeah. So in case you haven't seen this one, did not watch it with us. Um, so basically what happens in this episode is that the Borg make their return they have now invaded federation space um there is like a borg specialist who has come aboard to help them lieutenant commander shelby we learn uh during all this that Riker has recently been offered his own command 
um, and is basically planning to turn it down. Uh, we haven't seen this in the show, but this is like the third time they have offered him a captaincy and the third time he's going to essentially turn it down. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Shelby, though, is coming aboard and she is very much basically gunning for his job. Um, and he is also thinking, yeah, why am I still on the Enterprise? So he's kind of in this kind of crisis of... So sh- after the first two attempts, right? It's This is Starfleet's attempt to light a fire underneath Commander Riker's butt and get him going on his path to becoming, you know, a great Starfleet great. officer. Yeah, the Admiral's like... Huh. Get- Kick him in the rear end, Captain Picard. Like, do what you got to do. He's uh, stuck. Of course, during all this, however, the Borg show up and end up kidnapping Captain Picard, leaving Riker in command of the Enterprise. And in their attempts to defeat the Borg or try to stop them, they learn that Captain Picard has been assimilated and been made locutus of Borg, essentially a human mouthpiece for the Borg as they're planning their invasion of the Federation. And, of course, we end on that famous cliffhanger note where uh, Captain Picard as Locutus is basically giving the crew of the Enterprise their Borg ultimatum. Meanwhile, uh, Riker has his finger on the trigger of their super weapon that's going to destroy the Borg. We get that last cliffhanger moment where he says, Mr. Worf, fire. In one of the classic cliffhangers of all time. Needs of the many. Um. Yeah, lots of crap going on. We'll start with initial thoughts. Aaron, initial thoughts on watching the best of both worlds. Oh, it's great. Um, I wasn't. I mean, last time I watched this, I was definitely more into the Borg aspect, but this time, maybe because of our conversations earlier, I was really focused on Riker, um, which I really liked, and it made me end up thinking it's just like oh yeah the borg are here yeah but like riker can you just leave like do go man what why are you here (laughs) uh so you think riker should be going off and taking his own command yeah yeah especially after the third time asking it's like bro take a hint (laughs) dude mccarty even has that line and you know the enterprise will get along just fine without you Um, okay, yeah, this time, like I said, the Riker stuff is not what people, I think the first thing that comes to people's uh, heads when they think about this, it's more like the Borg stuff, especially Picard being assimilated, but the emotional conflict of this whole episode is all Riker, not really the Borg. He's like the main, he's the main character in this, it's a a Riker episode. It is is a Riker episode. Might be Um, the Riker episode. The Riker episode. If that... Not that, or his his first episode with his dad. Yeah, well, that's definitely a Riker episode. Where they come to blows with their cage match. Oh, my gosh. Their jitsu um, The ultimate evolution um, of the martial Is it, though? (laughs) (laughs) Looking at their fight choreography, you're like, is it, though? (laughs) Um, Yeah, funny enough, that... That is one of... That's the second time they offer him a command. Hmm. Is that that whole episode is about him... Like, he's essentially planning to go, and then he's like, no, I'm not going to. That might be the penultimate Riker episode. The penultimate, and this is the <laughs> ultimate Riker episode. Um, yeah, Aaron, Aaron, initial thoughts coming off of the best of both worlds. Ah, it reminded me of why I like Riker in the first place. 
as a kid. Mm. He just he makes the calls. He gets it done, right, right or wrong. He's he's got the the guts, the gumption to to do it. Like she said, like maybe someone who can make the big big decisions should be in the chair or whatever. He, does, um, he doesn't even hesitate making that big call at the yeah. end. He's he's captain is captured and he's like fire, clutch, mm-hmm. right? That's the right thing to do by the book, right? That's what a Starfleet captain captain should say in that situation. Yeah, we they're like we can go back and save Captain Picard. Just give us a chance. He's like, don't have time. We have to destroy the Borg now, and he gives up on saving Picard. Um, as goofy as he is, some of the choices that Jonathan Frakes makes as an actor, so whatever, like the character of Riker is solid and he nails it sometimes. He really does. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's easy to, um, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say criticize, but sometimes give Jonathan Frakes shit for just kind of playing schlummy, chummy Riker. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but you know, when he's, uh, engaged with the role he, he's solid he really is especially like uh season three of picard mm-hmm. kind of softened me on the character a little bit and his acting he did a great job honestly don't mind jonathan frakes acting i'm just like maybe this is just how Riker is he just this is just how he is so yeah. i don't mind it mm. um yeah um this episode of course is awesome and and you know, I used when I was younger, I used to give Riker a lot of crap, um, and basically along the same lines that Shelby basically sh- says, just like makes sense why you stand in the shadow of a great man like Picard, you know, while others move on. I was like, yeah, oof, yeah, he's just, well, I'm just gonna be here, and I'm not, you know. That's the kind of thing that'll linger with a guy for like years. Years. <laughs> um, Stand in the shadow of another man? What does she mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, even when we were watching the early stuff, especially when we were, yeah, when we were in like the growing pains of Next Generation, like season one Riker, he's much more assertive and much more like take charge. And he, he seems like that hot shot commander who's like on the fast track to the captaincy so does she though and so does she yeah and they and they mentioned that too it's like picard kind of mentions it's like you know she's a lot like you when you first came on at this point though he's kind of he's mellowed out a whole bunch compared to where he was in the first season and i think for me as a kid i was like well he stalled out he's like this it's this legendary officer it's like if in my mind, it was like Riker's a lot like Kirk. If Kirk stalled out, um, <laughs> that's kind of my. That was always kind of my impression of Riker as a kid. So I always gave Riker shit. And I don't know if you remember this, Aaron, uh, in Boys House, the original series. We would sometimes use, we would roast him, roast him, right? And, and we would say like, "Don't be a Riker," like it was like a like a like an epithet, just like. God, and honestly, that destroyed me because I was a casual to TNG coming into the boys' house. And, like, mm. he was my favorite character as a kid from the episodes <laughs> that I'd seen. So, like, oh, yeah, he's an idiot. He's dumb. Yes. Yes, that is the thing. Well, That's interesting. Maybe that negatively impacted my opinion of Riker. But I get it, man. I mean, 
I get other people being wanting to him to like grow and like go into other posts because he could do good there and stuff because he's a competent officer. He'd be a good captain. But also I get it. I was like, at my job, I was like, I don't want a promotion to anywhere. Just let me just keep doing what I'm doing. Like, that's the thing. Just fine doing what I'm doing. Yeah, he's in the Enterprise. He's on the flagship, right? Like, why would you want to leave? It would be so hard to leave that position to go even captain your own thing because you would know in your mind it would be like a lesser vessel. Mm. I mean, again, uh, there's dialogue where it's like, you've been offered the Melbourne. He's like, yeah, I've decided not to pursue it. And Picard's like, she's a a fine ship, Will. And And he says... Yes, but she's not the Enterprise. Right. Like, he loves being on the Enterprise. And that's what keeps him there. Yeah, if you're happy where you are, why should you have to, like, move up, necessarily? You know? So, like, in the initial conversation, we were talking about kind of the extremes. Riker's kind of settling for somewhere in the middle or in the in-between, mm-hmm. right? Like, not going for full ascendancy, but not getting demoted either like doing a great job as first officer but if he continues being a fine first officer and doing his performance you know his duties and you know there's no like complaints or anything like that i don't think that's a problem i think it's only a problem once he starts once it starts affecting other people Mm. negatively or himself or himself that does not include shelby (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so on the flip side, so what's our feeling on... Because the big counterpoint to Riker in this is Shelby. And she is very much... She's almost like uh, ambition crystallized into a character in, in this. What's our feeling on Shelby? Is she too ambitious? Is is she... Where, where What's our feeling on her? I mean, I assume she's similar to how Riker used to be, but until he kind of grew more comfortable with himself and knew who he was. Um, And so she's probably still just young and like, this is what I want, you know, and she's willing to do anything to get it, you know. And I think after maybe a few more years, maybe she'll follow, you know, mellow out a little more like Riker did. It's possible. But I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with being as ambitious ambitious as she is obviously she kind of it kind of gives her a little bit of a tunnel vision sometimes um and that's when you know Riker steps in it's just like oh and Troy steps in it's just like no actually there's more going on here than than just this like you need to look at all of the you know all the moving parts Mm. Uh, what do you think Aaron what are your thoughts on Shelby Gosh, I, the words that came to mind were over ambitious until you said words. I <laughs> know <laughs> I'm questioning everything. Um, she's, yeah, she's Riker at a younger age, basically. Mm. Ambition crystallized, but even more so, like just hungry, right? To, to get a spot, to make a move, to make a legacy, to make a mark in Starfleet. And that's totally fine. Um, but you were right. Like other people were saying, like Riker, like her higher ups, like just go with the flow. Like you're here because you made it, right? We see it. We see potential in you. Mm-hmm. So just chill out a little bit. But yeah, know. yeah. I think 
Yeah, it's interesting looking at Shelby. I I think I agree. I don't know if she's necessarily too ambitious, though I think she does push beyond uh, like that scene in, that she has with Riker in the turbo lift where she calls him out for essentially not being ambitious enough and that like, dude, you're in my way. Uh, you get where she's coming from, but also I'm like, you know, she's basically like, if you can't, if you can't cut it out here, you should step aside. I'm like, that's a little too far. Also very like 80s, 90s corporate drama. <laughs> it's also silly because like he's there because he's a competent first officer and he's still there because he is. I know if he was starting to slack, you know, they would probably like force him to go somewhere else. It's not like he's out there suddenly being a terrible officer just because he's not accepting a command, like a, you know, a command post. Like, Right. And of course, in the, in, in the end, he's the one she's like, no, don't destroy the ship. I'm sure we can come up with something. He's like, nope, sorry. And so in, when it comes down to it, he is the one who can step up and make the hard decision. And she's kind of like, no, I can go get him. She's it's it's almost more. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, one of you said tunnel vision and maybe there's that kind of tunnel vision with her where she's maybe a little much. A li- maybe a little too self-centered in ha- her ambition at least that's the danger with her is that she she's really riding that line of and she sometimes crosses it where it's more of like selfish interest than really uh the ambition to be the best she can be where she's kind of like no i'm awesome whereas Riker realizes it's not about you it's about what you can do in the situation for everyone else. Yeah. It's not about being awesome. It's about just doing what needs to be done and, you know, trying to get the best outcome, but still, you know, it's not about the perfect, the perfect ending. That's what makes you awesome in the first place. Yeah. Making the right call, not clouded by that need to compete with other people. And I think it's because it's what Troy said. He's more seasoned. He, you know, it's just like, no, like I, I would want to believe that we can go and do the captain, but this is too serious to to be kind of not idealistic, but I can't think of a different word. You know, with this con- like with this conflict between Riker and Shelby, again, even though uh, we haven't even talked about the Borg yet, I think they both give really good performances in this, and I think they play off each other really well. Really well. Um, Jonathan Frakes and Elizabeth Dennehy, who was the daughter of actor Brian Dennehy. Um, I guess when she was filming this, uh, she said that filming this was really hard for her. She had never watched Star Trek and kind of came in and, and she's playing a very strong character. And she was like, and wearing the spacesuit and everything. She was like, I don't know how to play this. Like she found it. And like, she's like this language, like, Cause you know, she has some techno babble lines in here because she's like the Borg expert, you know, huh. and she's like, I, 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 she found it very difficult and challenging, but watching this, I'm like, I, I wouldn't have guessed that was the case. Cause yep. I, not a second thought. I actually love that you brought that up because I was thinking at, as I was watching, I was like, I wonder how much like she knows about Star Trek and stuff when she's Nothing. doing this. I was like, cause she's killing it. Like she seems very involved in this world and yeah. like, so I love that you brought that up because I was exactly thinking that thing, the same thing. So, mm. yeah, she's great. 
That's so crazy. She never saw. She even when she got the role, she never watched any. She didn't have time to watch any of it. She went in completely blind. Um, whoa, that's I, blowing my mind. Kills it though. I think like kudos to her. That's a you would not even be able to tell. No, nailed it. Yeah. And like you see from the outside, of course, because she has such a look and such like a presence in her role. Mm-hmm. You like, you wouldn't give it a second thought. She just kills it. That's so interesting that she struggled so hard. I mean, she does it so well where it's like if they had decided we're going to make Shelby, like, you know, we lost Yar, we're going to make Shelby a character now. I, it, 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 she is, you feel like she would just fold in with all of them mm-hmm. really well, yep. seamless, even though, and maybe like, maybe she would spice things up a bit, but she just seems like she could fit in so easily with this cast. Yep. I was thinking that too. I was like, what if Riker had actually left after this and we got Shelby instead? I was like, that'd be a very interesting show. <laughs> so like a super subtle screen test. Like we're going to remove Jonathan Frakes. We're going to move you to a director role. We're going to bring in this new first officer. Well, there was a lot of speculation at the time because this is, there wasn't the same kind of internet fan culture that exists now, or at least the same just like you know everything about every show before it comes out these days. (laughs) Whereas back then it's like, no, like you had no idea. And so when it ended with Picard as a Borg, Riker and Commander Shelby's there, a lot of fans were speculating that like, like is Patrick Stewart leaving the show? Like is his contract up? Um, And a lot of people were thinking like they were setting up Riker's going to be the lead now and Shelby's going to be the new first officer. Um, yeah, what a, that would be wild to see if that's how it turned out. Um, gosh, I wonder what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Will he come back? Um, uh, I guess that that's a good segue into, um, what this episode of course is most famous for though. I agree Arn. like the Borg stuff as a kid was, that was all I ever thought about and focused on. It's like the Borg, the Borg, the Borg. But as I've I've gotten older and watched it, I it's the Riker stuff that I find the most interesting. I mean, as we've been talking about this episode, I honestly forgot the Borg were in this until you mentioned it again. And I was like, oh, that's right. It's a Borg it's episode. It's a Borg episode. That's the thing. I think that's brilliant. I just had a thought. It might be dumb. Probably is. But like the, ante- the antagonistic force in a show doesn't necessarily have to be like some big epic enemy like the Borg, even though it is. It can just be like riding underneath like a pressure, mm. right? Like like a loose valve or something that's going Well, they're time. kind of like the, the they're like what incites the emotional conflict of mm-hmm. the episode. Um, and of course, by the end, there's a really nice buildup to the Borg in this episode. It's not just suddenly the Borg are here. Like there's a slow escalation, and by the end, the Borg are very much now like consuming everything because Picard is a Borg. They're about to fire their weapon at the Borg. They're heading toward Earth. Um, yeah, so yeah, the Borg make their big return appearance in this episode. We first saw them in Q Who, where Q uh, gave the crew of the Enterprise like a preview of things to come, and now this is the things to come. Um, so now that the Borg are, are like officially here, what's our, what's the thought on them as, you know, uh, an antagonist, um, a larger meta antagonist, how do they play in this episode? 
They're terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, in this episode they just feel like the the end of the world is coming. There's this like um and the scene, I mean we're watching it right now, that scene with Picard and Guinan where they're basically talking about the end of history. You know, and it's like is that, you know, Picard's making the you know, he's he's talking about I wonder if the Emperor Honorius truly realized that the Roman Empire was about to fall when he saw the Visigoths coming over the seventh hill. That's an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. He's he's really thinking, considering like this could be the end of the Federation, right? That's what he's asking. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, "This is just, yeah, another blip." I love how calm and quiet the scene is. No one else in Ten Ford lights are off. Yeah. And I just really like it very quiet i think it's her only scene in the episode but it's such a good scene between them um yeah it's funny picard i mean again this episode is mostly remembered for this is the one where picard gets assimilated by the borg um he's not front and center for most of it with a couple like that scene with Guinan is like the big like that's like his biggest scene focusing on him um, not even realizing what's about to happen to him. Um, uh, it's, it's wild again, like how, how little though, aside from that scene, he's not featured in it too heavily. He's there, but this is not a Picard episode at all. Um, um, by the end, like it kind of does just for the sake of, uh, now Picard's the bad guy. But I mean, it's still a pretty big move to, uh, move to take your lead character and uh do that to him so huge move um yeah yeah, that was so yeah this is written by michael pillar who we've talked about is basically that he's the showrunner showrunner at this point um and uh originally when they were coming up with the borg they had like ever since q who the whole writing staff had been like how do we bring these guys back and how do we make it interesting and cool because there was like a while everyone really liked them, they're like, they don't have like a personality quite like, say like the Romulans or the Klingons do. So there was a lot of, and there was like, so what do we do with them? Like with these like race of like automatons um, and make them interesting, not just scary, but interesting. And a lot of the writers, they wanted to do, it's like, we should do like a queen bee Borg. Um, But Michael Piller was like, no, like he kept shutting it down. He's like, no, what makes them interesting is the fact that they're this giant group consciousness. But he also, but cause they were really championing the idea cause they wanted to do a big cliffhanger splash for this episode. And they said like, but how cool would it be if in the last scene we reveal this queen bee Borg and that's the cliffhanger. He's like, I see where you're coming from. That that is a good idea. I just don't think we should do a queen bee. And then eventually they stumbled upon, what if it was Picard? Then, and then he was like, and then from that came like the whole rest of the episode. It's like, oh, and then Picard will leave, and then Riker has to be the captain. Oh, and then it's also oh, then it's gonna be a Riker. I got it. Um, it all came from figuring that kind of figuring out what the cliffhanger was gonna be. The whole rest of the episode came after. Um, all, reverse engineered, but re, it'll, but it really works out. Like figures out what the episode is from doing it. Crazy, because I feel like that's how they write New Trek nowadays. But they don't working backwards from. But, but then they don't. They write like from about moments, and then just 
right around it. That's what it feels like, at least to me. But then they don't really make it Go good. There. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't come together. It's It feels sloppy and mm. put together, you know, just like thrown together. Is it on? Um, but this one was great. Yeah. Um, and I think in the hands of a lesser show, they would just focus on the Borg plot stuff. Um, and then these, these, these artificial just like plot drama moments. Where, and this is why I think Michael Piller is such a good showrunner and writer because his whole thing was like, no, we have to find... Okay, yeah, that's the big what's happening, but it's all about how does this affect our characters and that's what the episode is about. And the fact that this is about the emotional conflict that Riker is going through makes this such a better episode than just being about Borg invasion stuff. Phaser battles, CGI, Phaser, yeah. CGI and you know, like action a lo- and exposition and techno babble about how we defeat the Borg. I yeah. mean, there's some of that in here, but that's not really. But what there's the so focus much. Is. There's so much like so much. This episode is literally just talking. But in a way that's like engaging and actually like moves the plot and character forward instead of just like sitting around like in Picard and just discussing and talking about what's going on, you know. I don't know. It's like it move it it moves things. Yeah, just enough babble to give context. Mm. Yeah. And nothing more. And then we can get back to what's actually happening. And it lets people be smart. I just like it. It lets people actually be smart. Multiple people working together as a team, which I feel a lot is also lacking mm. in other things where it just focuses on, like, I don't know. Yeah, everyone gets to have, even though it's, it's so focused on Riker, everyone gets to have a little moment or two in this. Crusher figuring out how to, like, uh, weaken the Borg so they'll get out of warp. Uh, Wesley... You know, coming up with like the main deflector dish as the way to do it with Jordy and everything. Um, everyone gets to have little kind of, and you, they just feel like such a cohesive team. Yeah, and it just feels so natural too. So, you know, nothing like contrived written just to like give them screen time. Mm. Like, it's like they're there for a reason. Yeah, and like I said, like this really does feel like a culmination of kind of everything we've been looking at as they've been kind of. Okay, we're gonna take what the show was in season one, and we're gonna, it's we're gonna turn it into this, and it's like everything feels much more comfortable. They're not as stiff anymore. Um, they have certainly raised the stakes of the show, and they have really honed in, though, like focusing on like the character characters in all that, and then watching the interplay between them all as like as they work to solve it. Like at this point, it just feels so. Natural. Well, here's the show. Oh, and it feels so like almost effortless. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, you watch this episode, and it's like it's a huge episode. It's very ambitious, and you, you can tell it's like this would have been a a big thing to produce in 1990 for television. You watch it though, and it feels so effortless. This episode in particular, like the writing, the the production, I mean, because like all the shots with the Borg, the in, in the interior of the Borg, um, the the stuff in the nebula, all the technical stuff is working really well. Um, just everything just feels on point in this episode. It's hard to think of any and timed, yeah. The pacing, how they build it, 
just everything. Like I, I don't necessarily want to say flawless, but it's hard to come up with like a a major criticism or critique. I'm like, it's just immaculate. Immaculate. Um, yeah. So, like we said, this this is considered to be one of the all time greats. Like I said, this is maybe a top tenor of the whole franchise, if not higher. I wouldn't put it in the top 10, but I still think it's a good episode. Mm. Even if it's not a personal t- uh, top 10, do you think it still warrants the intention and, and legacy it has? Especially, yeah, well, considering the impact it had, right. then yeah. You could argue this, this, you, you could maybe argue that this is the single most impactful episode of the entire Star Trek franchise. And maybe if you were just going by impact, this could get the number one spot. Yeah. It, it feels like the whole there's a whole different franchise after this episode. There's a whole bunch, group of people that had never seen Star Trek before TNG that just watched their captain get assimilated by the Borg. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. What a cliffhanger. Um Yeah, and and a lot of the like behind the scenes and everything, like the like the writers and everyone like after this like came out and this was the season finale but after this came out everyone said everything changed after that it's like suddenly everyone was talking about this show and it's like did you see that episode did you see that episode like they just it's easy to take stuff like this for granted now but in the 1990 television landscape seeing an episode like this would have been like oh damn like what is this show so they basically said, like, yeah, after this, it basically catapulted this show into, like, mainstream, like, popularity. Suddenly everyone, in, like, the the, the broader TV landscape, everyone was talking about this show now um, because of this episode. Um, Some Game of Thrones epicness. Mm-hmm. Um, any... Any final thoughts at all? She's got a full head of steam, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Some of his lines and line deliveries. Oh, man. Like you said, it's like, you know, somehow he makes a lot of these lines. There's like a wink of inappropriate behind it. <laughs> Good thing Data's there to be neutral. Like, yes, that was a sentence. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> um, are there any final thoughts on the best of both worlds? Uh, no, just uh, I'm looking forward to the next one, especially because it's the Wolf Three Five Nine stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple last little bits of behind the scenes. So, um. Michael Pillar only had a contract for a year, so he himself was considering leaving the show at this point. And literally his own personal conflict of whether or not he should stay on the show is in this episode. He basically put himself in this Riker episode. Shoot. Can you Riker imagine shoot. writing this episode and then just being like, peace, and then dipping? Like, <laughs> but, <laughs> this is, this is your problem he, now. <laughs> that's how he wrote Fade. it. That's how he wrote it. There was like, we did not have the resolution to this he basically like because he thought i'm i'm done after this so he does come back um and continues to run the show for a few years 
at the time, though, he basically wrote this impossible situation. It's like, well, someone else will figure it out. Yeah, he could have done the <laughs> funniest thing ever. But also, I'm glad that he came back. Um, yeah, he does have to come back and figure out how to wrap it all up. Ha ha. Um, Patrick Stewart has a, a funny story I mean, on this, along the same kind of stuff of like the show blowing up. Um, he was like out driving out around in L.A. And like, I think they were out of stoplight. I could be remembering the story uh, wrong, but he's at a stoplight. Another car pulls up, and the person in the car sees that it's Patrick Stewart, and he's just like, "You ruined my summer." (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, I guess this episode had double the size. uh, Had a double size orchestra for this one, um, which contributes to the music being a bit more. Epic in your face. In this one, yeah. Well, it's like With the it's, synth choir. Oh yeah, it's eerie and it's unique. It's it really it really helps with the the whole feeling, especially with the Borg. Like yes. especially when like the beginning when you just they see the crater and the you hear the the music start playing for the first time. It's like oh, this is something special. On that little Borg motif, because like yeah. it's right at the beginning when the episode starts when he's giving us Captain's log, and it's just this little. And then as the episode's going on, it's getting a little more. And then, of course, you have that. By the end. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, um, This was really good. Um, Thank you, Arn, for coming on and talking about Best of Both Worlds with us. I'll be back. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes, of course, you will be back. Um, as of course, next week we are going to be watching The Best of Both Worlds, part two. Um, and yes, Arn will be here watching it with us. Same bat time, same, same bat, bat channel. channel. <laughs> um, yes, we are actually just going to watch it right now, but all of you at home are going to have to wait a whole week. You're giving oh, away the secrets, no. the movie no. magic. <laughs> Um, it can be really tricky paying off these big, huge cliffhangers. So I guess next week we'll see um, if they pull it off in part two. Oh boy! Um, all right. Well, until next week, we will see you all later. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story. You can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com, or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.